I'm Jonathan Platt, and you're listening to Direct Line Conversations, the podcast. Nobody makes it to the top alone. Now, you don't even have to try. Your journey to a life filled with purpose and leadership fueled by confidence begins right now. My guest this week is Dr. Eric Holliman, a senior lecturer of religion at Baylor University. Dr. Holliman was just coincidentally my first professor when I came to Baylor. He teaches this Christian scriptures course, and we were kind of down in the basement of Tidwell for a, a summer mini-mester. Uh, Dr. Holliman has, uh, in his previous life, served as a, a youth minister, a campus minister, a singles minister, and as the senior pastor of several churches. He left ministry uh, to come to Baylor in 2002, where he has off and on served as interim of several local churches. Dr. Holliman and I have a great conversation about his career, the lessons that he's learned, and what he wants students to walk away knowing from each class and each interaction with him. Here's my conversation with the outstanding Dr. Eric Holliman. So you're a college student, and you graduate, and you leave, and you go into ministry, right? Well, I'm a college student yes. getting ready to graduate yes. without really a clear idea of direction. Mm-hmm. But uh, So there was, there was no clouds part and a voice comes down and says, this is what you're doing. None of that. I, I haven't had it yet. <laughs> didn't have it early, didn't have it middle, didn't have it late at all. But uh, no, I... I I mean, I was not looking to do ministry as a college student. I got involved in, you know, some campus ministry things and literally was getting was graduating. I went to Mississippi College, Baptist College, and and was trying to figure out what do I do next. I was actually three. I mean, I was graduated from college three years after high school. So and I'm not sure that it was that had served me well yeah. in finding where I was going. My high school buddies were at the University of Florida because because that's where they all went, and I, I'm thinking I'll move in with them. What's one more person in in their commune apartment? Yeah. Get a job and maybe take a business course. See what happens. I actually had a guy in Florida who was saying, "Come down here." You don't have to get another degree. Get uh, your license and certification in insurance. Come into my my insurance business. I'll turn it over to you. Yeah. And so, what what caused you to do that four year experience in three years? Uh, I was a test case. Okay. Okay. In high school, that was the early uh, times of trying. Or they were trying. To, they were testing what they call early admissions programs. Yeah. And I had a guidance counselor that came to me in my junior year in high school and said, I think you need to do this. So I finished high school. I mean, I never went to a class at my high school my senior year. I took my freshman year of college at the local community college. So I walked, I walked across my high school graduation. I've got a year under my belt. So, so to finish in three years was nothing except for I had no more idea <laughs> about what I was, where I was going, and all. But a couple of people who seemed to know better, and maybe God was speaking out loud to them, 
one of them was the campus minister chaplain there, and he basically asked me what I was going to do, and I gave him that lame story about going to Gainesville, Florida, and moving. He literally looked at me and said, that's not what you're supposed to do. And he said, you're either supposed to go to seminary or work in a church. I want you to come see me in my office. There is a church in South Mississippi that needs a 10-week summer youth minister. I want you to go talk to them. So, and then I had a good friend, and he had gone to New Orleans Seminary. I kind of, he asked the same question, I said, and he said, if anybody's supposed to go to seminary, you're supposed to go. So, I mean, I'm thinking Gainesville, and the next thing I know, I'm in Loosedale, Mississippi, talking to the youth minister search team for a 10-week job. Jonathan, I have never, I mean, I'm small town. I had never had a youth minister. And I'm talking to them about being their youth minister. And and I go down. I didn't know anything about being a youth minister, but I loved to play. Yeah. And I could throw in a devotional here and there. And so I survived 10 weeks. And they said, you know, if you would go to New Orleans Seminary, mm-hmm. two and a half hours away, we'll help pay for it. And you can come back on weekends. We've been thinking about moving from just summer to, and you could be our and I go, I don't have, I don't have, I don't have any reasons to say no. I mean, I don't have a job in Gainesville and everything, and they treat me so well. So, so I applied the next thing I know, I'm in New Orleans Seminary doing a Master of Divinity. Yeah. And what year did you start at New Orleans? That would be, uh, that would be the uh, fall of 1976. Okay. I actually, they were on this quirky system. They had a semester, but they divided it into two parts. Yeah. Instead of taking four classes for the whole semester, you took two classes for eight weeks and two classes for eight weeks. Okay. And so, literally, that summer, playing softball and all that stuff you do in churches and everything, I, I didn't know, but I, I messed up my back. In July, the pastor of the church literally took me to the doctor because I was stooped over, and the local physician in town said, you've got a ruptured disc, and you've got to go in the hospital. I said, I can't do that. <laughs> I'm a youth minister. Yeah. You can't do youth ministry for the hospital. I said, tell me what I can't do, and as soon as I'm finished, I'll go home to Florida. I mean, so I went home to Florida in August, and... Uh, got put in the hospital like this and after seven days of being in a hospital bed they did surgery for a ruptured disc so I missed the first eight, first eight weeks, weeks of that yeah. semester but I could come in October and start and I started okay. I started that October and and, and went back to that yeah. church on weekends and and do that so yeah. That, that's kind of, that's, that was kind of how, and of course, as soon as I'm in seminary, now I'm beginning to think more seriously about, okay, what what is, where is this taking me? Where is this road taking me? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. where where did that take you? How many years were you in ministry? Well, what happened was, yeah. so during that, that first year there, that campus minister, remember that had told me, yeah. 
you're not supposed to go to Gainesville. You're supposed to go to seminary. Go talk to this church. He called me up and said, look, you know, every year I have a, uh, basically a graduate assistant. That's what they called it and everything. You get a part-time salary. Would you mind taking a year off from seminary and come being my graduate assistant? Again, I really didn't know where I was going in ministry, so why not? And, I, and you know, I'm really a year ahead. I was one of the youngest people at New Orleans Seminary at that time because of that. So I took a, a year off and did you know, this Baptist campus ministry stuff. Yeah. And it, I mean, it, it was, I mean, if, if youth ministry was good, this was great because now, you know, I didn't have to deal with the parents all the time. <laughs> you have the same enthusiasm. They like to play. Yeah. But you have a much more serious conversation gotcha. developing because they, and I was at that stage of, you know, here I'm getting an education and, and this is costing a lot more than high school. And, uh, you know, yeah. most people in college really didn't worry about getting kicked out of high school. But, you know, if you don't make grades. And so now where am I going with all this? So, so. So I like that better even than the youth stuff. So when that's years over with, I went back to New Orleans to finish. Uh, really, with the people in the campus ministry world, say, finish and come back and do campus ministry. So that's what I did. Yeah. And that same campus minister, mm-hmm. he, was, he, he was the Burleson of, of, of Mississippi College. Yeah. And... Uh, as I'm headed towards graduation, he's saying, I'm tired of this graduate assistant stuff. I want somebody to come stay with me. And so I and, and so I went. I had the job before I graduated. Two and, two and a half years I was there. And, of course, the people in the campus ministry were all saying, look, just stay in this and, you know, you will find. And uh, so in the fall... After I'd been there two years, uh, a former graduate assistant at Mississippi College, he was the director of Christian life at Houston Baptist University, and he's looking for somebody to do campus ministry. And they flew me out there, and the next thing I know, I am, you know, uh, I'm basically doing the Baptist campus ministry program, you know. Director of Christian Life, there, whatever the title was then. Yeah. And so. And so, when when do you transition from campus ministry into uh, I don't know church what, stuff? Yeah, church, church ministry. Local yeah. church. Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't think that that's what I'd ever want to be. There's a woman that still lives in Loosedale, Mississippi, and that person. It, she, she has said through the years. She said, "I never thought I never thought you would end up pastoring a church." <laughs> She said, I thought you might end up in Bangladesh feeding poor people, you know, because that was just my mindset. Uh, That was kind of my deal. But while I was at uh, Houston Baptist, a church in Alabama, I I mean, I just got a call. I mean, I wasn't looking for something. Campus ministry was what I was thinking, but uh, uh, God met in seminary, was the uh, administrator of the staff. And he said, we're creating a new position. And that was the beginning of churches doing single adult ministry. 
And he says, we're creating a combination position. And he says, there's just no one's gone to school and trained for this. And he said, we finally just started going, who do we know that we think fits the position? It was associate pastor, responsibilities, minister, single adults, and church counselor. Okay, a lot, of, a lot of balls to juggle. A lot of balls, but in, in nobody's ever done this in, in that church, in not many churches. And But here was a significant-sized church in southeast Alabama. How big, how big is significant size? Oh, they probably were running... Uh, they were probably running 1,200-plus okay. in worship and more than that, you know, in their Bible study, Sunday school stuff. Yeah. And... It, you know, and it was doctors, lawyers, they, you know, uh, you've seen it, you're from East Texas, yeah. you know. Yeah, well, that's why I wanted to ask what significant yeah, is, because significant for me is yeah. 300 people, yeah. so, so 1,200 is, is... But, you know, yeah, but very nice worship center, they had the family life center, yeah. all that stuff and everything. But I go there, John, and, and, and honestly, uh, I wasn't prepared for this, but single adults has to be the most diverse group I've ever dealt with. Because, I mean, this were anybody out of college. And when they had started this, I mean, they had so many. That's why they said, we need somebody to pay attention to this group and do ministry with them. But they, uh, but they had all these what we would call senior adults. And that's funny because now I'm in that category. That, you know, for various reasons, never married, widowed, uh, divorced, whatever, but and they go. If you're starting something for single adults, that's what we are. And they came. So I had, and you had. And of course, you're going to have those in that area that uh, that uh, socially deficient. I don't mean to offend anybody, but I mean that impacts uh, jobs. I mean, you know, ability to form and sustain relationships. And then I mean, I had in this successful lawyers I had a bank president I had a lady in this that you know she was in her early 50s and she was the leading uh, state farm salesperson for one fourth of Alabama Wow! I mean for the south, southeastern quadrant of Alabama Yeah. I mean and so you got all, every, and everything in between and so uh, so I'm doing that I went there I mean, I never looked for that, and uh, what happened there, a couple things. One is I go, uh, I've been trying to stay away from the local church as far as a ministry position, and I said, boy, this is, this is the hub. This is the, it all comes, starts here and goes and comes out of here and comes back to this. And the other thing that happened was uh, I'd always been the person that, Basically, I planned the program, I planned the retreat, and bring somebody else in as a speaker, mm-hmm. you know, bring somebody else in as the entertainment. Yeah. And what happened in that is uh, I began to really take on more of a role of Bible teacher yeah. as a main part, big part of what I did, and got a lot of And so, and what happened was during that time, campus ministry and then while I'm there I basically end up with eight years 
of time in campus ministry, five there, three in the local church. During that whole time, a professor from New Orleans Seminary uh, who was the leading preaching professor, pastoral ministry stuff, he had always been saying, come back and do work with me. And uh, But I hadn't done it because if you're going to do Ph.D. work, you gotta, you have to found something you love and yeah. care about. Yeah. And I say, you know, if you're going to do that kind of work, you don't do it for the grades. Maybe some people do, or the prestigious, whatever it's going to take you to. Do it because you want to learn about this anyway. Yeah. And what happened was, while I was, it, it was in that local church that this pastoral ministry stuff just began to click with me. I really didn't want to be a counselor. Yeah. And I didn't want to be the education person. But, boy, this connecting with people and their relationships, walking through with them as Eugene Peterson, speaking Scripture into their life, speaking Jesus into their life, whether it's one-on-one or, or you're the speaker for the Bible study or preaching, you know, it's basically taking the Word of God and and. and Praying with and praying for is what Peterson says, and 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 saying, how does this fit with 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 this word in Scripture in this life of Jesus? Yeah. That became that boy. All of a sudden, I go, now that's something I would like to spend some time yeah. learning about. And so, so uh, I left there with that church's blessing and with their support, uh, and went back to do a PhD. Preaching, homiletics, pastoral ministry. Yeah. Because because now, I what when I was you asked me about graduating from college. Yeah. I mean, I went to be a youth minister because somebody said I should, not right. because I was going. I want to be on a church staff. Yeah. In fact, I say I, I mean I really don't want to do that. Let me find something else to do. And maybe campus ministry was a way to do ministry, but not be on a church staff. Yeah. <laughs> But the thing I lost, what, what, I, what happened was I loved that campus ministry and walking through that. Mm-hmm. What I realized when I hit the local church was in the local church, you're there, birth, death, and old age, the crisis, the, <laughs> you know, the, the graduation, the high point, the marriage. And it's not all within this 18 to 22 range. It's also not a cycle. You yeah. have to be there for a longer yeah. time with that same group right. of people. That's right. And so I went I went back to met my wife had been saying, You're going to do find out figure out where you're what kind of doctor you're going to work on and, and where you're going to do it and yeah. I I'll work. She's an R N. I'll work because you're going to do this and the sooner you do it the better. And so yeah. so I went to New Orleans and and that's really started where I went, okay, I'll consider pastoring. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure you go over a lot of that, maybe not all at once and in chronological order like that, with your, your ministry students when you teach the, 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 the intro to ministry class. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I experienced you from the intro to uh, scriptures class, and you also taught the, the intro to heritage mm-hmm. class too. Um, how many of those, I mean, because your, your class is, is very widely known across campus. It's one of the larger classes. Mm-hmm. Um, how many of those students do you think know that first, you know, what what is that, 15 years of your career? Yeah. 10, 15? 
I, they probably don't know the specifics of it. Yeah. Uh, I tell you what, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I did it in your class, and I do it in every class, and, and one of the common denominators, I mean, those classes are very different from scriptures to introduction to ministry to now the leadership in ministry, which is a senior-level course yeah. I do. Uh, but what is common yeah. is... Out of my own experience, I say the journey, and this is the journey of vocation. If, I don't, you know, our data shows that uh, your audience that's getting these degrees, that they, that most of your audience is not going to really discover what they want to do and, until they're pro- somewhere between graduated from college and in their mid thirties, and yeah. some will still be looking. And so if you take me, uh, having gone to seminary eight years between campus ministry and then this this uh, place in the church and everything before, I go, ah, oh, and then go do a doctor. Yeah. I, I'm, that, that's really very common. Yeah. And so what, what, what the common denominator between all those, I believe, is that when we're in scriptures, we look at that Abraham story. I probably, if, if there's two parts of the scriptures that I am going to slow down, one is I'm going to pay attention to that Abraham story, and I'm going to spend some time in every gospel. Yeah. Okay. Now we may live about some other things, but we have to. But we're going to get that. And then that Abraham story, that uh, that journey of going to a land that I will show you. Yeah. And you got to go. And you're not going to know. It's that you're going to learn as you're going. That, I mean, that I, I can't do the 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 narrative of, of script of Christian scripture without that coming up over and over. Yeah. And guess what is central to the conversation and the introduction of ministry is that journey and and, and you know what. What voices are speaking into my life? What experiences? You know, because God hasn't spoken out loud, and I haven't seen anything written in the skies and that kind of stuff. But what I have found is, it is if God has spoken in a loud way, it has been two ways. One, these people that know me and that I trust and can be honest with me, speaking in my life, and just getting out and doing ministry yeah. and going, man, there's a lot to learn here. But you know what? Yeah. I don't want to spend my life as a therapist on the church staff or any. That's not me. I'm glad. I'm, I mean, those I've learned so much. That's not me. Yeah. Oh, but to be able to take a biblical text and wrestle with it and delve into it and then maybe come into, whether it's a class with four people or one with 30 people or a sanctuary with a lot of people in a planned program and to somehow say can, can we together go to this text and encounter something yeah that became you know <laughs> so I, I remember one of the, the first times spending time with you in in your office that's what you said was was you don't you don't hear God through reading scripture alone you hear him through studying scripture, knowing scripture, and then meeting it in life, meeting people and experiences that help you grow in your understanding. 
here's the theologian Karl Barth. It really impacted me because what what he said. <laughs> I don't buy everything, and and I, you know, Bart's like all of you. You you got to sift through it. But he basically said the problem with preachers and teachers in the church and all is they think that they have to make scripture relevant. Yeah. And he said if this scripture holds the gospel, you don't make it that. You've got to trust that that's there, and you just got to share those texts, and and people will encounter. Well, I, 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 so I, I do that. This is uh, for me. What I say, what has captured my soul, I guess, yeah. is that in the encounter with these texts from Genesis to the Book of Revelation. I find, I mean, you, sometimes you have to work, you know, to figure out what kind of literature and what they do and what is the life situation. But I find that there's life in these texts. Yeah. Okay. You know, when, when Abraham's told, go sacrifice your son, that doesn't tear you up. You don't know what it's like to care about someone, you know, and what's that anxiety or those kind of things. Or, you, you know, uh, yeah, this... Uh, this conflicted person of David and the dimensions there and the the dysfunctional system that he's in, and, you know. And but but if you pay attention, all of a sudden you are encountering life in those texts. And yeah. and I think the same thing in, in, in when you find Jesus. And what uh, what I find is that. Uh, is that they taught us to go to the text and for us to have an encounter with the text and then in preaching and teaching for us to bring that encounter to. What I have found, that's the fact it's called a hermeneutical arch. You're bringing, you, you go to the then and then you bring the meaning of it to the now for people. Yeah. Well, Bart's idea... And this has this has shaped, and I think this has shaped whether I'm teaching five people in a church or whether I am preaching or Christian scriptures or we're in that introduction yeah. to ministry class uh, talking about an issue in ministry and we go, okay, if we say that if you're going to survive a ministry, you have to be a person of prayer. But let's not just take that. Let's look at the portrait of Jesus in prayer in the book of Luke. Here's what I find. Instead of me, here's my model in that class, in leadership class. Yeah. Instead of me thinking that I'm going to go back and encounter that text and bring the truth to it, how about could I be the guide that guides these people that are interested and guide them back to the then. Let them encounter it. You, you know what I, 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 because, I said, because what I find, if if Jonathan Platt is in my class, or and if they ever cross that bridge and encounter the then of the text and the life of the text, I don't have to encourage them. They're coming back across that bridge to the now. 
And and so so yeah, that so that that's been in my experience of that has been that Abrahamic. You go, you experience you yeah. and all and and as I've done, you know, that's led me to where I am now. You yeah. know, this the, the thing that where I probably do it in the classroom. The the thing that I would say that you that unites all of the professors that I had over two degrees at Baylor that I say that was one of my favorites. Yeah. You, Kay Miller, Bob Darden, mm-hmm. you know, um, Simon <laughs> Burris, they all yeah. call so them uh, they all call themselves a guide. You know, they might not use that word exactly, yeah. Yeah. but it's that That's same right. perspective of I'm not here to impart dictation to you. I'm here to take you on a journey with me. And while while we're while we're on classes, what and it may be a hard thing to decide, but which one of those classes did you enjoy most? Kind of connected to this next question of which which class do you think you got to be the guide the most in, and does that overlap? Well, first of all, let me say my favorite class from the beginning to this time to when I walk out the door and has been to teach Christian scriptures. <laughs> if they said you can only teach one. Give up everything else. Which one do you want? I'd okay. say scriptures. And why, though? Well, okay. One is, but I think because because this life in the text, yeah. And and it's sometimes God, and sometimes it's just walking beside people as they encounter that. Yeah. I think one of the reasons is it's because in Christian scriptures, uh, though I've done. And I like, I like the, the religion majors. I mean, that's. I mean, I I get the biology. I get the business. Yeah. I get. It's everybody, and and you know, to have people go, oh gosh, you know, I've grown up in it, or I didn't grow up in it, but encountering this life, I mean, it's got me interested. I want to pay more attention to it. I'm opening myself up to more to what it brings to me. So that's that's. What ha- that's where I've enjoyed it most. Because you, because you can see how that would be not an ideal class for a lot of professors. It, it's, it, I, it's a bunch of freshmen. It's not like yeah. a unified major. It's, yeah. it's a required class. Yeah. You know, there's going to be a lot of, of cantankerous but, students. But can I tell you the yeah. story there? Yeah, of course. Okay. Now I, I will say, I've just had a class on leadership and ministry that's got to be one of the most fun classes I've ever had. And, but but again, I had this variety of students. I had a bunch of religion major people, but I also had you know business and mm-hmm. and, and and all. But they're interested in ministry, and but they all were interested in. They wanted to read, and they wanted to discuss the readings. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's okay. That's well. Then all I got to do is is assign it. They read it, and let's come in and let's see what we can do at knocking back and forth. Yeah. But there there is a a former Baylor student that is in Chicago mm-hmm. and in fact she's come quite successful in the TV market uh, sure, I, yep. Whitney yeah and, and she's given me permission to tell the story but she came into my scriptures class and you know it was the mixture of everybody and she came in and she said uh, Dr. Tom I've got to do well in this class she had tried it some other semester and not done well, and she was scared to death of it. And, she, and, and I said, well, okay, well, I can 
let me tell you what you're going to need to do. And, uh, you know, Whitney knows her gift is being social and party planning and that kind of stuff. But, uh, but sitting down to learn, you know, 16 significant dates (laughs) associated with the Hebrew Bible narrative and then the New Testament is not her. But 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 she did, and and I, and I will say she basically did everything I told her to do, I, you know. So uh, rewrite her notes, you know. Come in every two weeks and ask me about anything she didn't understand. I mean, I've never seen anybody so disciplined. I don't want to break any federal laws, but she's given me permission to tell her story. You know what she made in my class? She made the lowest B possible in that class. In fact, it would be a B minus today. That's what she made in that class. But here's what I say about Whitney. I've had a lot of people make A's. And and they may have learned something. Some of them, they already knew it all. They didn't need me (laughs) or something, you know. But... uh, I'm not sure I've ever had a student learn more mm. yeah. than Whitney did. Yeah. And, and more importantly, in the midst of that learning, uh, I got, we got to have a significant conversation about her life and how, and her, her life has had some ups and downs and she came out of a family with struggles and things like that and uh, but uh, so so whatever she made on the test in that grade it's unbelievable she learned a lot more than she ever thought she could yeah. you know but more than that uh, you know we we developed a, a conversation where where she trusted to say some things and uh, reveal some struggles, and and it was in the context of how does that fit with this, with these materials and these stories we're reading, and and about becoming a, a healthier human being and and receiving the grace that we all need to do that, and so. Uh, I think I say scriptures because it gets gives me a chance to concentrate in the biblical text the most. Yes. And in scriptures, I get the most diverse group of students, yeah. and I love that. Yeah. However, I have to say, those other classes that we're talking about, uh, those are also opportunities where I get to have those Whitney Reynolds experiences, yeah. relationships. Yeah. And in fact, I mean, look, Bader has plenty of cheerleaders. They don't need me to be one. But I will say the great gift of teaching at Bader for the last 19 years is the quality of people that come there as students that I get to engage in that dialogue with. Yeah. And they're in, the, and they're, they're in that early stage of going, I'm getting this, I'm, I'm majoring this, I think I'm going here. And how do we have that conversation in a way where they may not end up doing what they thought they were going to do, 
or they may do it, but it's going to have different challenges. But how do we have this conversation in a way where this becomes a stepping stone to that? Yeah. Yeah. And and, and what we've done here in this conversation we've had has been a... Uh, ha- has prepared them to ask better questions, mm-hmm. to be more honest about yeah. what their fears are, what they're anxious about, what yeah. should they be anxious about, yeah. what is what is healthy, what is not. You, you know, uh, yeah. What and what what what? And maybe because the conversation we have here, maybe when they're twenty eight and and they're going, well, I thought this is a job I wanted, but this is not. It. How do I get to it? Maybe they maybe they can have a better understanding of maybe some of their own dysfunction and how that's shaping that and and they won't and and maybe they have some sense of the grace that sets them free from from that. Yeah. You know, what, what, I don't know what basketball coach it was that said, you know, uh, you'll have many opponents, you know, in your career of playing basketball. But you'll find out your greatest opponent is yourself. Yeah. You know, and, and what I'm hoping is these kind of conversations are f- giving or helping them have a foundation for that continued conversation. Because mm-hmm. we're all in it. Oh, yeah. We're all, uh, yeah. yeah. All, 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 all. So, it's, okay, so, so the, 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 the two, two more questions. Okay. okay. Um, Okay, I'll go. I'll go with the okay. Um, so you're, you know, you're you're two years away from a totally different season of life, like a totally different season of life. <laughs> yeah. And having started the conversation about that kid that didn't know what he wanted to do, where he was going to go, he's going to go live on a couch in Gainesville, Florida. <laughs> you know, what if that if that kid. Mm-hmm. As I did mm-hmm. many times, walked into your office mm-hmm. in that you know this last few years of your time at Baylor. What would you want that kid to just leave your office knowing? Not leave Baylor knowing. Not even leave the first semester knowing. What What would you want that kid to know? Well. I- I think because that kid, that uh, you know, that twenty-year-old who was finishing college, college three years out of high school, was there because because I mean he he had some abilities, uh, and other people saw that, mm-hmm. and it said. Go ahead and start college and those kind of things. But I don't think what some of those people recognized was how insecure. And so one of the things I'd like to say to that person, if they're in my office, I'd, I'd like to help them believe in themselves a little more. Yeah. And, and, and help them do what that... That guy that told me to go, <laughs> don't go, don't go to Gainesville, but uh, but uh, help uh, that person come to understand more a little bit about uh, what 
What were their struggles with? You know, there's that story of, of uh, Jacob returning and, and having to face his brother Esau. It's fascinating because he's coming back and he expects his great struggle to be with his brother Esau. And when you read that story, Esau ends up hugging him, but he wrestles through the night somehow with the presence of God. There's where his struggle is. And so what I would like to do is, if that student walks in my class, I, I mean, or in my office, I would like to help them with some of that uh, uh, not believing in themselves, low self-esteem, that kind of stuff. And I would like to, if at all possible, help them discern what is their real struggle with because often we imagine this is what it is and it's something else right so I think that's what I would uh, like to do and uh, because of who I was I would like to uh, I don't want to project myself on other people but but for those of us who often don't believe in ourselves we have those there is, I mean, we want to. There is this fear of success. It's it's that that you feel uh, like an imposter already. Mm-hmm. More success is going to make me feel like even more, more of an imposter, and that's always been a struggle. That is so. That is very insightful. That that idea, and I think that's particularly true of people in ministry because you are always trying to project, and then there's there's what everybody expects and wants you to be, and you want to be in what you know you are. Yeah. So, so yes, it, 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 exactly. And I also think we sometimes are afraid to try things and go. I mean, go. How hard is it to be successful sleeping on friends' couch in Gainesville, Florida? <laughs> right. Yeah. But to yeah. but to go try to do another degree to, you know, when my wife she was the courageous one. Look, figure it out. Let's go. We will live in a small apartment. I will work and pay for it. You know those kinds of things. You know, okay, that's that's a challenge. The problem is, I'm sitting there going, can I do it? Not only what if I'm they find out I'm an imposter because the worst kind of imposter is what if I get there and I can't be successful? Yeah. What if I fail at it? And I would like to help that student go, it's okay, go, go, it's, you, you can't do it. And yeah, yeah, there are going to be some things you fail at, but guess what? It's when you try some things and fail at some things, you find out what you can be successful in. Do you, do you still struggle with that imposter syndrome? Oh, then? yes. How does it, how does it play out as somebody who, I mean, you have dozens and, and dozens and over the years, hundreds of students looking up to you. And and yeah. and you're you're successful at what you do. You're at the peak of what you do. Yeah. How does that imposter syndrome creep in? <laughs> uh, well, it's 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 always been there. I mean, uh, I don't know anybody, particularly in the local church, that in ministry that doesn't struggle with this. That's them. Yeah, asking about you. Yeah, yeah. And I had this there. You know, what if they really knew what I thought about? And particularly, you know, the, the the subjects that are bombs and that kind of stuff, and, yeah. and all. Uh, 
And so, uh, yeah, it goes off particularly when, you know, some student comes up and tells me how wonderful I am, and I go, yeah, but you don't know what I think about, yeah. you know, uh, you know, uh, these politics and that kind of stuff. So, so anyway, so yes, I think I think you struggle with that, uh, and I'll. I think having colleagues that one can be honest and real with makes a big difference. I think uh, having a family, you go home and you look at the mirror and, uh, and, and you know, I mean, in, in our family, yeah. who we are comes out. Yeah. And, and if we he- deal with it healthy there, I, I mean, in healthy ways, if we can grow, if we, you know, can be not obviously completely honest, but if we're on that, you know, we've got a better chance of being that when we go out into other places. And I'll, but honestly, again, I think one, one, I mean, there's been no doubt. When I came out of the local church to teach, uh, I had a little bit of that survivor guilt in that. Uh, I mean, I'm like the guy who's come from the trenches in a war, and now I'm in Washington at a safe desk, and I feel guilty because my buddies are back there. There was a part of that uh, uh, of me. But there is no doubt that that this classroom and what Baylor has given me as a gift to be able to do has been a much better fit for me. And, and uh, the one thing I and I I have found maybe it's the diversity and it's not that college students don't struggle with false selves and everything, yeah. but I think there is such a diversity, and there and it's a time of experience. I just find that that it has been easier to be honest with students than it was often. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 I, I guarantee one of the reasons is because I guarantee you when I'm teaching that scriptures class if it's 60 which is the standard you know and you've got every kind of major in there or the or the super section auditorium class I've often taught 240 you've got everything in the world so so you know in most parishes most churches yeah. self selection is yeah. it's kind of narrow but, but, but there's something about this environment that I've been given that I think helps me be a little bit more true to myself, and and therefore with this imposter yeah. stuff. Well, makes did, sense. Did, did did you did you ever get to did you ever get to talk to your dad about that survivor's guilt? I mean, I'm sure he had to struggle with that his entire life crawling out of the New London school explosion like I mean yeah. did he did he ever talk about that, that? did y'all ever get to well, since I mean, you know, know, so, knowing knowing mm, knowing people who mm-hmm. did who yeah. did what your dad did yeah I've heard those words yeah well as you I mean that, that's a that is a fascinating story as you well know that whole yeah. New London expo- yeah. explosion thing and part of the fascinating part of of, of that story yeah. is and the whole community tells it this way. I mean, it has to be now the, the, the offspring of the survivors. But one of the fascinating things was how, in a sense, that whole community 
put a lid on particularly the emotions of that yeah. story. And, you know, it's a few years after that that my my grandfather, who worked for Sun Oil Company, took a job somewhere else in Texas. And my dad said, in fact, it's on the New London Museum somewhere and everything. Yeah. My dad said that he believed his parents thought that maybe if they left New London, they could escape the pain. But they left and they found out because they took their hearts with them. They took the pain with them. But what is fascinating, my dad never said anything like that until, I don't know, I don't remember how many, but it's years later, and a group of people in that area said, we need to have a reunion, and we need to start bringing back some of these survivors. And all of a sudden, they started having every two years this memorial service, and these people from these families started coming back and said, I have not talked about this in 50 years. Yeah. Now, we call that today PTSD, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, so he never said anything like the survivor's guilt. Yeah. Although I do, I mean, I think there was this, I mean, I think if we don't have time, if we want his story, we want to deal with it and everything. Part of it would be to go back and say, okay, what happens in a family where there's two children? The daughter dies at when she's in fifth grade, and so she immediately gets sainthood, yeah. right? Yeah. So uh, she immediately gets that. So what's the son going to do? Well, I wonder if that could have impacted his journey into ministry. Yeah. You know, because <laughs> that's hard competition there, yeah. <laughs> you know. So, so I mean, in that, there's something about being the survivor, yeah, and the one that gets to go on living, yeah. that is impacting uh, that kind of stuff. But I mean, when you ask about him, I mean, he is from he New London, and then World War II. Mm-hmm. His father fought in the trench warfare World War One. One of the things that we all knew is my grandfather never talked about that because that generation, what do you do? You come back from that hill and you don't, you zip it up. My dad, New London, the whole town, it wasn't yeah. like, the whole community yeah. is part of it. And, and then he's in World War II. Yeah. Uh, you know, all that. So, so there wasn't a lot of... Yeah sharing or anything until then you know uh that kind of new london stuff happened but but i don't think that my dad becoming a pastor can be separated from all of that but he was not from that generation that processed that yeah and one of the reasons you didn't process it because you didn't so then how did you process that survivor's guilt? Was it through those those colleagues? Was it through... Well, You're talking about when I came to... Yes, yes. And uh, I don't mean to compare no, leaving no, no. and going into... I, I, I don't oh, mean I to compare ministry to professor no. to surviving a no. war or a, yeah. a traumatic explosion. No, but. well, I... Well, I te- well, you just... You, you, 
you know, luckily I've had people that influenced me and said, hey, you you pay attention to what you're feeling yeah. and that kind of stuff. But, uh, yeah. I mean, my wife and I had been in a community where, I mean, I was a pastor, but but this was our community that we walked through life with and everything. Yeah. And our children are still in the school system and that kind of stuff. And, and all of a sudden I'm in Baylor. I'm, I, I can't go to that church. I can't do that. To they're in a process of trying to find another. I, my shadow has to diminish, not. And but uh, but I don't think we realized how much we would grieve not being with our friends. Yeah. And I don't think my wife would buy it. I mean, so we're you know we're in that first semester. I'm teaching, and we're trying to figure out what church we're going to go to and immediately nothing's working for us. I don't think it's because where we're going, these churches are in. It is that we're still too much full of grief and we're driving one Sunday going to church wherever, whatever the next place to try out is and we happen to have the radio on and the service at the church where I've been pastor is on. Jonathan, my wife, just reached over and turns it off. And tears coming down, and and you know, all of a sudden we realize here are people we've been sharing life with, and they are they're still getting together and sharing life, but because of this decision we've made of transitioning, we can't go. Whether whether it is the funeral or, or no, I went to funerals and everything, but but. But but we can't go be with them in their major gatherings and share life there, and and I think the big thing is we had to recognize what was going on that day when she reached over and turned that radio off and go, hey, yeah. this you know no wonder we can't find where we want to go. Yeah, we're still grieving. I mean, <laughs> you know, we're like the person who's marriage has ended death or whatever and trying to get immediately <laughs> and not recognizing the the grief that's going on so that's so i think that's what happened and, and i recognize it because i heard a colleague of mine who had been a vietnam veteran talking about his survivor guilt yeah. and he was applying it to when he left the local church to come and he said I felt this one and I'm going my goodness there it is yeah and that's <laughs> you know and, and all you know and I think it took me a year yeah. to, to you know now one of the things that helped probably was you know after I'd been doing this a couple of years you know some churches came along and said hey come be an interim and yeah. all of a sudden you're there and you're walking through the events of, of their lives and all of a sudden you know you just went there to supply preaching but you're doing a funeral because somebody dies during that time or yeah. that kind of stuff and and so you're getting a little bit of that but but I will say from the time I started there was never a time where this what this gift as I keep saying yeah. that, that I was given to get to do what I've been doing for the last 19 years, my wife and I have, have said, this this fits me. Yeah. I, this fits me better. I've been much better at this. <laughs> and I've had my, uh, you know, there there are my flaws as a teacher and everything, but, 
but this has been such a wonderful fit for me yeah. over the local church. But but I can't imagine doing what I'm doing without having spent you know that 12 years pastoring yeah. different places. Those years as uh, <laughs> as that single adult minister and counselor, I had no idea what I was doing, but. But, yeah. but, you know, it's filled with those experiences of just of yeah. walking with life through people. And as I said, doing what Eugene Peterson said, ultimately, you, know, you yeah. phrase it different ways, but one-on-one yeah. -on -one and, and, and other things, just basically uh, uh, praying with and praying for and trying yeah. to speak the name of Jesus in life. But I, I do want to say, I think that there was this wealth of experience that I would have never had if I hadn't been in the local church that maybe I don't have a lot of but 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 I think shaped me sure. because yeah. you know in the local church mm -hmm. I, I did get to be there mm -hmm. and, and, and walk through the struggles in life where people I mean I can't tell you how many times in the church I had somebody come in and say to me, they're in their 30s, they're in their 40s, they're in their 50s. I hate the job I'm doing. I'm thinking about changing, but I don't want to bankrupt my family. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I mean that, that kind of thing. But, but I, I also got shaped by the fact, you know, family calls and says, you know, a hurricane, well, I mean, I knew it too. We didn't have electricity. You know, but this hurricane, they live 90 miles away. We can't get out of where we live. And mom, your church member is in the hospital, and they're saying she's going to die. Well, you go be there. Yeah. And they can't be there, but I'm there when she takes her last breath. And, you know, to be in a family, yeah. and, you know, in the hospital, when, when, when the patriarch, the matriarch of the family, and literally she dies while we're in a circle praying, that kind of stuff, you know, to be, be there when, you know, Somebody says, come to the hospital, and, and, and you get there. Yeah. Why is your son back there? Well, he was shot in the head, and they're trying to figure out what's... All of that stuff. But, but to also be there when, hey, would you come perform the marriage of our daughter? Yeah. <laughs> Where there's, it, it's, if there are tears, there, it's joy and it's celebration. Or that person that they called you and said, come to the hospital, he's going to die. He doesn't die. He's had a stroke, and you think, well, it'll never be the same. But you watch over three years and see what physical therapy yeah. can do, and all of a sudden that back, that person is back doing all kinds. And I, I got to. I can't imagine at least teaching what I teach and doing what I'm doing without having those yeah. formative experiences. And I don't know where I would have gotten them. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm so glad you had those. I'm so glad that shaped you. I'm so glad that this that, that this career is such a great fit for you because uh, I can't imagine my Baylor oh, career beginning kind. with anyone else than in any other class. Buried <laughs> down there in the basement of Tidwell every morning, <laughs> smelling the asbestos and everything, slowly dying. Yeah, together. hopefully they got that out. Yeah, right? hopefully. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's so that's, back that's, that's, we move into the new <laughs> that's, that's my last question. Yeah. Is is uh, what? What's it been like to not have the 
best office on campus for <laughs> over a year now. Because well, at least the best view. First, yeah, first they, they kick you out, and, they, and now they strip your building out. Oh, and I know. Where, where's your office on campus now? Uh, I'm in Cashin. Okay, okay. Cool. Uh, and yeah. this temporary thing, you yeah. know, and, and so, you know, this semester I've had a class uh, over in Handcammer and, yeah. Yeah, and Foster and yeah. one in Cashin, and also that's a bit of a different experience. But look, uh, <laughs> you know, I wouldn't have said this is the way I want to live this year, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but who, I don't know any of us that chose COVID. <laughs> and uh, and uh, no one uh, knew that, uh, I don't think the people that planned the renovation of Tidwell thought that a pandemic was going <laughs> at the same time and, and, and the dynamics of it. But you're right. You are right. You remember correctly. I had the Chamber of Commerce view from yeah. the fifth floor of Tidwell. Oh, yeah out over the campus and and it was g- gorgeous at any time in fact I chose that office because of that view uh, because there's only one other office that was open and it was in the b- basement when I came and I, and I chose the smaller office because of that yeah. view uh, and it was then just absolutely gorgeous yeah. glorious when the sun was going down and the lights yeah. came up or when it was come uh, or in the morning on it so anyway but I have no idea where I will be in Tidwell. You're not going to fight for that office. You're, you're <laughs> no, throw somebody I don't. Down. I don't think it matters. I think, uh, in fact, we laugh. I, I think uh, Dr. Bellinger, our chair, who's retiring this month, yeah. I think he's assigned, and it, uh, where we will each be, and then uh, by the time it's revealed to us in July or sometime. Uh, he's going to be at his cabin in North yeah. Carolina, where, <laughs> where none of us can, can, can do. So, so, so anyway. Yeah. But, but hey. Yeah. But I, but I got 18 years yeah. of that glorious view you're talking about. Yeah. Which uh, was, yeah, which was was great, and uh, you know, but as you well know, uh, on the fifth and sixth floors at that time, you couldn't get there by an elevator. So you could you could take an elevator to the fourth floor, but you still had to climb yeah. stairs. So yeah. it was a little bit of a maze. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Dr. Holland, thank you so much. I've enjoyed your time. <laughs> I hope you can make something out of this. I'm Jonathan Platt, and you've been listening to Direct Line Conversations, the podcast, brought to you by Baylor Line Foundation. You can follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. And if you haven't, Hop on over to wherever you're listening to this and follow, leave a rating, and a review. It really does help. Join me next week for another Direct Line Conversation. Thanks for listening.